0: Let me ask you a simple question. It's not a trick question, an honest question. For what did God save you? Why did God save you? Now, as I asked that question, I recognize there are more than a couple of correct answers. We could clearly say, and we'd be absolutely right, that God saved us for His own purposes of glory, that in our salvation, He shows Himself to be so full of grace, so full of mercy so vast in his love for us that we are amazed that he would save us, someone like me. So for his glory, for sure. We could also rightly say that God saved us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. He gives us the gift of himself and not just to know him, but to enjoy him and to enjoy him for forever. And that certainly would be correct as well. God saved me so that I might enjoy him and his good and many gifts forever. But there's another reason that I don't want you to ignore. It's the reason that when God saved you, He did not immediately usher you into heaven, That He didn't immediately deliver you from all the hurts and struggles and difficulties of this world or the darkness that surrounds us. Instead, He left you here. And when Jesus was praying for the disciples, John chapter 17, He said that, I don't take them out of the world, Father, but I pray for them in the world. Why did He do that? If the sole purpose of our salvation is that we might know God and enjoy Him forever, why didn't He take us? If it's for His glory that we might worship Him forever around His throne and celebrate His goodness forever and and be part of that never-ending worship supper of the Lamb, wedding celebration of the Lamb, why didn't He take us? Well, because there's another reason. 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us this, we are His ambassadors and God makes His appeal through us. So our salvation is not just about us, it's not just about me. It's not just about what I get forever. It's not just about what I enjoy forever. It's not just about God's love for me and God's plan and purpose in my life. My salvation has to do with a vast, unnumbered people. People I'll meet in the routine of my life, people I'm related to, people I'll work with, uh, people I'll hang out with, people I'll never know that I'll pray for and give gifts towards the reaching of. That God might use my life for their sake because God is still working for his glory and for the good of others. And we are everyday missionaries. So that's our theme. We are everyday missionaries. That's who God wants us to be. That's what God created us to be. God is making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. So God wants to leverage your life, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever age you are. If you belong to Christ, he wants to leverage your life as a representative of him. So that through you, your words, your life, your choices, you're calling people, be reconciled to God. You can be made right with God. You can know God. You can have a relationship with God. Our theme as a church is this. We are a family of everyday missionaries who make disciples. That's the commission that God has given us all, making disciples, making other followers of Jesus. So let me give you just this quick thumbnail sketch overview of where we are in this this very brief series, this sort of of a reset series for us as a church. Last week we talked about the first missional habit of being everyday missionaries. And that first habit is the habit of gathering. Now, that may seem at first counterintuitive. Wait, I I thought we were supposed to be missionaries, and missionaries go, right? Isn't that the essence of the Great Commission? Go into all the world, but you said the first habit is gather. Well, we gather here because this is where, in our worship times together, in our small group times together, in our discipleship times together, this is where God is strengthening us, forming us, creating in us a people, and as He creates in us a people after His own glory and serving His purposes, He's going to send us back out. But there's also something else about that creation of a people that God is doing among us. He's creating among us a compelling community, the sort of thing that people need and yearn for, that you can be part of something here that's so different than, than what the world offers. Because though we, we may look superficially a bit alike as you look around this room today, what unites us is not where we're from, it's not the color of our skin, it's not the sort of jobs that we do. It's not our politics. What unites us is Christ, that we all have a commonality through the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ. And we have been brought near because of him. That's something the world can't replicate. And that's very powerful. So God calls us first to gather. The second habit that I want to challenge you with today is the habit of growing. The habit of growing. Now, again, you may be thinking when you say the habit of growing, that's not a habit. That's just something that just happens. I mean, I've grown eight pounds since Christmas. I get it. Growing just happens. But here's the, here's the irony. Physical growth, normal, natural, and expected. Spiritual growth, also normal, natural, and expected, but it doesn't happen without intentionality. You remember in Hebrews chapter 5, remember what the author of Hebrews said to that congregation? He said, you ought to be teachers by now, but instead, you still need someone to teach you the basics of the faith. What was he saying? On the surface, you look at them and say, you've been in this long enough, you've heard this long enough, you've been around this long enough, you ought to be able to teach this to other people by now, but you're not. Time would suggest, on its own, you'd be there by now, but you're not. You see, time doesn't create disciples. Training does. And so as we look at this text this morning, and the challenge from Ephesians about spiritual growth, here's my prayer. My prayer is that you will choose some behaviors And doing those behaviors so consistently over a period of time, those behaviors will become for you habits. And as those habits begin to be formed in your life, they will will naturally create in you character. And character is the destiny that God created you for the character of Christ. My desires to honor Christ, the choices and behaviors that accompany honoring Christ, those choices and behaviors over time that become habits, forming in me this new creation that's called transformation until I'm living out this life that God's created me to live. So with that in mind, I want you to pray with me, and then we're going to just delve into this text this morning. Father, I pray that in addition to the rational capacity you've given us, the intellect that we possess, the studying we have done, The training that we have, Father, in addition to all those things, well and good as they are, Father, you would teach us by your Spirit today. This is your word. In your word, you reveal everything about us you desire us to know. You do not hide from us, but you want us to know you and draw near to you. So, Father, I pray that your word would speak powerfully to us and we'd hear it. I mean, really hear it. The sort of hearing that goes way beyond my ability to speak to someone's situation or questions or needs the sort of hearing where someone today will be sitting there listening, saying, I feel like, God, you're speaking straight to me. Give us the ability, the capacity to hear. So break down the barriers and the resistance and find our, sol- our hearts soft and ready. And Father, beyond just hearing and understanding, give us the desire to do. Work in us that which pleases you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. It's a fairly familiar passage to us, I think, particularly since not so long ago we went through the book of Ephesians, but let's read this text, Ephesians 4, so if you've got your Bible, open it, or you can read on the screen behind me or in your notes. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, and he, that's God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, as we've gone through, as we've begun this series, really it's only week number two. If you're in a life group, if you're not, I hope you will. You're going to hear a challenge about being in a smaller group at the end of this message. In this life group time this morning, we talked about a missional value, something that we say really matters to us because this is what God desires for us, that drives this habit, this habit of growing. That missional value is maturity, maturity. Because maturity is the aim that God has for every believer. I mean, you caught that in the text, right? It's so clear. Here's what God wants for you, that you grow up in every way into mature, let's use this term, adulthood. Not just manhood, it's not just for the men. You grow up into mature adulthood to the stature and fullness of Christ. That's the aim, that you grow up. So you're not like children anymore. And what are some of the things that children give evidence of here spiritually? They're not solid and stable when it comes to what they believe. They're easily confused or dissuaded. They're, they're, they're easily taken off course. They jump on whatever's new or popular or they go with their feelings and their emotions. Oh, well, I want you to grow up so you can be stable and secure and become more and more like Christ. That's maturity. So here's the basic premise. And Today I laid this message out. I try to do this as logically as I could, really more for my sake. Really in three parts. So, If you'll think of it like this as, as you think back on this message or consider it later, three parts, there's a premise that Scripture has basic premise. The premise is this, growing up spiritually is normal and expected. In fact, so much so is spiritual growth normal and expected for every person that's truly in Christ that the Bible does not give assurance or confidence regarding your salvation. It does not give you that that sense of assurance that you so want if you're not growing up. It's just not there. Those who show no growth, those who don't desire growth, There's nothing in them that's hungry for spiritual things, to know God better, to be more like Christ, to conform to the image of Christ, to be obedient to the commands of Christ. The person that shows none of that, the Bible gives scant confidence to that they actually belong to Christ. There's no evidence there for being in Christ. Growth, as we saw, as we learned as we went through the book of Hebrews, is one of the clearest evidences that we actually belong to Christ, that he's doing something in us. We're not who we used to be. It's not perfection that gives us the evidence, right? Nod your head if if you're with me. Perfection is not the evidence of being in Christ. Progress is that God is working in us from the inside out through his Holy Spirit, through these means of grace. He's creating in us a new person, making us into Christ. So think of first the premise. The premise is you ought to be growing, I ought to be growing, and we ought to continue growing until Christ comes or until we go to meet him. Second thing I want you to consider is the process. There is a divinely ordained process. That's what you see in Ephesians 4. It says God gave. This is not man-made. This is not strategic in the sense that we came up with this, and I think this will really work great. This is not something that people have developed over time as a strategy. This is a God-given process through which people become more like Christ. And becoming more like Christ, we do what God wants us to do. So consider this process. And what I put in your notes is this, and let me explain this just for a moment. I don't want to spend too much time on this tangent because my tangents equal long sermons for you guys and and late lunches, okay? But here's what I want you to hear for a second. When I say the ordinary means of grace, these are the things that God has given us that we do consistently over time through which he is creating in us the people he wants us to be. But we have this tendency, I think, to want to shortcut the normal and natural means of grace, or we want to supercharge them, or we want to fast track them. We want sort of a microwave spirituality. So we do things that try to push this forward faster, or create it artificially, or, or manipulate the results. I thought about this as I was preparing for this series this month that you know, maybe it would be good is that we go through this series on the church and our role and our calling as everyday missionaries, maybe it would be good if I gave you a prayer calendar and we do 30 days of prayer and we pray for these things every day, these specific things. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I've given you some of those in the past. But I thought instead of conveying to you that the means by which we're going to grow is if we have a special series or special program or a special season of prayer, instead of what we do every single time we gather, Every time you're in a life group, every time you're sitting with a few other people in a D group, coming to worship together, and what you do when you're in your own prayer closet with the Lord, those are the normal means of grace by which God is developing us. And we need to be consistent and constant and do those things over time. These are the normal means of grace. So consider these just for a moment. And I'm going to run through this list rather quickly straight from this passage. These are the processes. The first part of the process wherein God makes us who he wants us to be is through the people that he's put in our life. Here's what he said. God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Let me just throw this in. This one's for free. The apostles, that was a set group of people in a set period of time, and we still learn from these men, but we don't go to their churches anymore. We're not watching them online or listening to their podcasts, okay? So here's my, this one's just a free bit of advice, okay? This is sort of outside of pulpit here. I'm not sure what the Latin term for that would be, but outside of pulpit here. When you're tuning into that guy or picking up his podcast, reading his book, and he calls himself apostle, put it down. Just put it down. Those are not apostles. The apostles are those who are with the Lord. They're the ones that God gave the scriptures to. These are the ones that God used to form the early church, but God gave them for our sake. So do we still benefit from the apostles? Well, you bet we do. Uh, That's why we study the Word, but God has given us apostles. He's given us prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Why? To equip us for the works of ministry, for building us up, for building up the whole body of Christ, the people that God has put in your life for your good. You know, you can't download growth. I mean, there's some good resources, and and I'm a downloader, I'm a reader, I'm a researcher. Um, I'll, I'll search things out, and I'll follow these different trails, and I'll read these different people, and then I'll find something I like, and I'll read a quote from a book, and and uh, Kindle's both been a gift and a curse for me because that list of Kindle books I have is just ever-growing because I'll find something I want to read, and then I'm reading this and then reading that. Listen, that's great, and that's helpful and beneficial, but the primary means of your growth is not going to be downloaded. It's not going to be viewed. It's not going to be read or even listened to. Those are tools and supplements, but the primary tool of growth is going to be face-to-face. You hear it, you see it, and you imitate it, Consider some of these things that the Apostle Paul said in his letters. And you see this just consistently through them. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. Though you have countless guides in Christ, those might be the people you read, the pastors that are influential to you, the podcasts that you listen to. Though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Did you catch that? I sent someone else to remind you and to give you somebody to follow. Not just someone to teach you, but someone to show you. First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Do you have anybody in your life right now that you can say, though imperfectly because we're all imperfect here, and I'm not trying to elevate a person to the stature of Christ, do you have somebody in your life that you can say, that's a go-to person for me to show me how to live the Christian life. That's a go-to person in their marriage, how they approach work, how they handle stress and difficulty, pain, how they lead their families, their priorities. Do you have a go-to person? Philippians 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me. Philippians 4.9, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. You catch that? Learned, received, heard, seen, practiced these things. 2 Thessalonians 3:7 and following, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you. You know how you ought to imitate us. 2 Timothy 3.10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. This is you've seen it. You haven't just heard it. You've seen it. You've watched it. You know this is this is real. This is true. One of my favorite authors, uh, theologians, D.A. Carson, says in every church you ought to have people like this. Listen to Carson's words. He said, you who are older should be looking out for younger people and saying, in effect, watch me. Watch me. Come, I'll show you how to have family devotions. Come, I'll show you how to do a Bible study. Come on, let me take you through some of the fundamentals of the faith. Come, I'll show you how to pray. Let me show you how to be a Christian husband and father or wife and mother. At a certain point in life, he said, that older mentor should be saying other things such as, let me show you even how to die. Watch me. That's what God intended. That's how God shapes a person and makes a people through other people. So that's first, the people that God has put in your life. So be thinking about that. Who do I have in my life? Who's God placed in my life to develop me? Second thing is the work that God has gifted you and called you to do. Now, this may be a bit of a surprise to you, but there is not a single one of us who are in Christ that do not have an assignment from Christ. There's something we ought to be doing. Now, that action, that work, that service, that ministry, put it whatever nomenclature you want on it, that has value both for us and for those whom we serve. It's a both and. Because nothing's going to grow me faster than serving, than doing. Now, I wish I had some time for some personal stand-up testimonies and things, but some of you that are very involved in serving, ministering somewhere, doing something, how many of you at least could affirm this statement in your own testimony? I've grown more in the last season of whatever, serving, giving, doing, leading, teaching, than I ever did before I did that. Can you say that? When I started doing, or when I started teaching, or when I started showing up, or when I started, that's when that growth really kicked in. Because you learn by doing, and you grow in doing. And there's nothing that's going to grow you faster or reveal the holes in your spiritual life than when you get out there and start doing something. But God's intent, the normal natural intent, not just for a handful, but for everybody, is that there are people in our life that God is using to develop us so that we can take on the tasks that God has given us and be able to do them well for the sake of others. So there's a work that God has called us to do. Here's what Jesus said, John 14, verse 12 and following. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me. So think about that just for a second. Whoever believes in me. So Jesus, when he said this, was not simply talking to disciples, that first group of apostles. When Jesus said, whoever believes in me, he's talking about me, you. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything, I will do it. What's normal and natural for a Christian? That you do the things Jesus did. You look for those opportunities to be who Jesus would be if he had your job, if he taught in your classroom, if he lived in your neighborhood, if he had your set of friends, if he had the resources that you have. What would Jesus do there? And this is normal and natural for us. Okay, let's look at the third item here, the point of your spiritual growth. Have you ever considered that? This sounds a bit philosophical, I know, but what is the point of your spiritual growth? I'm obviously big picture here, and I'm condensing a lot of big themes into one relatively short message. Short is a relative term, as you know. I'm condensing a lot of themes here, and it's, there are a lot of things that you can read about regarding spiritual growth. I mean, Christian living, that's probably the biggest topic of Christian publishing that there is. But what's the point of it all? We talk about your spiritual growth. You ought to be growing as a Christian. You ought to be working. You ought to be serving. What's the point of it all? The point of it all is not how you're doing. Now hear what I'm saying, and I'm going to summarize this very quickly. The point of spiritual growth is not ultimately how you're doing. How much Scripture do I know? How much doctrine or theology can I um, convincingly discuss? Um, How am I doing personally, morally? How holy am I? Those are not unimportant things. That's just not the ultimate point. In a a great little book called Learning to Live and Love Like Jesus, Brandon Cook describes what he calls the human paradigm of spiritual growth versus the Jesus paradigm. In the human paradigm of spiritual growth, it's all about how I'm doing. Am I getting better? Am I... not as bad as I used to be? Am I learning more? Am I memorizing more? Am I, be, am I getting there? Am I, am I climbing this sort of spiritual ladder? Am I going up this spiritual staircase? How am I doing? He notes some limitations with that paradigm in that if that's the modus operandi that we function with, how am I doing? Always trying to climb that ladder. It can be a bit frustrating because we never get to the destination. We're never going to fully make it. We're never going to be fully formed in this life. Um, how will we know when we have? And and what pleases God? You know, is God? Is God doing good things in my life because I'm doing good? What happens when bad things come? What does that do to my theology? God, I'm trying. I've been growing. I've been reading scripture. I've been praying. Why are bad things happening? And it shakes up our theology. He said so the Jesus paradigm is something different. The Jesus paradigm starts with recognizing that you're adopted in Christ. You belong to God. Nothing can change that. You don't have to earn that. You're not working your way towards that. God gave you that by grace. When you became a Christian, God put you into his family, and that relationship is permanent. It's a permanent adoption. You already have all the gods you're going to get. He loves you. He accepts you by grace. He wants you to be close to him and know him and enjoy him. And the ultimate aim of the Jesus paradigm is not how am I doing, but how am I living like Jesus would live? How am I loving the people around me? How am I loving the people God has put in my life? Not just how am I doing, that's rudimentary. It's not unimportant. That's certainly important. I want you to be doing better. I want you to be becoming more holy. I want to be becoming more holy. I want to know more scripture in 2022 than I knew in 2021. I want to be more consistent in my time in scripture and more fruitful as as I journal and things like that. All those things are important, but that's not the ultimate aim. The ultimate aim is not to turn all this thing back into me. The ultimate aim is to turn this thing out and be like Christ. How am I living like Christ? So that's the point of your spiritual growth, not how you're doing. but Am I living like Christ? Am I living like Christ where I go to school, where I work, where I live? Now let's consider next, number four, the cost of your growth. Paul addresses this in Ephesians 4 too. What is the cost of your growth? In two words or a hyphenated word, I think the answer to that is self-denial. If you're serious about spiritual growth, okay, And I'll make this just as basic and short as I possibly can. If you're serious about spiritual growth, you're going to have to give up something in order to get something better. I don't meet many people today that don't say they're not very, very busy people. If your life was a a piece of paper that you wrote everything that you had to do on it and all the responsibilities you have and all the activities you're engaged in, you probably find yourself writing all the way over the margins. your life is full past the margins, I get it. So if you're really going to be intentional about spiritual growth, which is going to be our third point in just a moment, you're going to come up with a specific plan, not just a a desire, but a plan. Here's what I'm going to do. Then you're going to have to deny yourself something. You're going to have to give up something that you enjoy or something that you want or something that you're doing. You may not be able to watch quite so many hours of television or spend quite so many hours on the Internet or spend quite so much time on social media or quite so much time doing whatever it may be. Self-denial. Listen to what Jesus said about self-denial. This is Matthew 10, 38. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What about Matthew 16, 24? Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, anyone, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What about Mark 8, 34? Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Luke 9, 23. Jesus said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. You detect a theme here? Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What is he saying? He's saying fundamentally, and and I'm giving a broad summary here, fundamentally what it means to follow Christ is you give up the life that you were living and you say, God, what life do you want me to live now? And taking up a cross is no mere euphemism. Taking up a cross means, Jesus, I'll follow you to the point of death if need be. I will die for this. In self denial, I'm going to put some things away. So the cost of your spiritual growth is going to be self denial. Maybe you get up earlier, or maybe you go to bed earlier so you can get up earlier. Or maybe you limit how much time you're in front of a screen. Whatever it may be, you've got to make some choices because there is a cost to it. What's the goal of your growth? You probably can answer this one very quickly. Again, look at Ephesians 4:13. What's the goal of spiritual growth? What's the aim? mature manhood mature adulthood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ the aim of spiritual growth is not to be better than you used to be it's not to be as good as some of the people that you admire and respect the goal of spiritual growth is christ we aspire to christ likeness the last part of this passage deals with this evidence of spiritual growth listen how the section ends just for a moment He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who's the head, Christ, that's the goal, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part's working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What's the evidence of spiritual health and spiritual growth in my life? Okay? One, there's personal evidence. Am I becoming more like Christ? My attitudes, my affections, my desires, my behaviors, my choices, am I becoming more like Christ? And, catch this, are the people that I'm connected to in Christ, the church that I'm a part of, the spiritual community that God has placed me, my family of faith, the church where I belong, is my church growing? Are they growing up in Christ? Are they growing up in love? We talked about this this morning in our prayer gathering before your life groups, which I invite you to come. Every Sunday morning we gather in the Saints. where at 8 and pray and pray for our worship that day. Pray for you. Pray for the life group. Pray for things that are pressing. One of the things we talked about today is, as we pray for one another, the measure of our discipleship, the validation, really, of, of our relationship with Christ is our love for one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples, Jesus said, if you love one another. So when we look at this sort of personal evidence, am I becoming more like Christ? But also, am I a part of a community of other believers? Why am being formed like Christ and helping others be formed like Christ? Are we growing together? Is this thing working? Is it working? Is my life group growing? Are the people I'm in a d-group together, are we helping each other grow? Are the people I love and care about, are we spurring each other on to love and good works, as the author of Hebrews says? Are we doing these things? Is it working? Because spiritual growth, and, and I'm not sure, sometimes I have these clear pictures in my head of what I'm saying that may not be clear. It makes me say it to you twice, so bear with me. The point I want to make most clearly is this. It's not just you. Man, we've messed up on that point big time in modern Christianity. It's just about me and my relationship with God. You know, so I can grow just as well sitting out there on you know, swinging a golf club on the eighth hole with an earbud in listening to some podcast because it's about me. I don't need to be in church. I've, I'm reading great books. I'm, I'm singing good songs. It's, it's, but it's not just about you. Am I becoming more like Christ? But if I'm really becoming more like Christ, I'm going to be loving people like Christ loved. I'm going to be engaged in the lives of people, like Christ was engaged in the lives of people, the point of, point of it all will be somebody else, not just me. And will the people around me be growing? So let's segue real quickly into this. There's a premise. We ought to be growing. There's a natural, ordinary process by which God grows us all. But you've got to have a plan, not just a desire, not just a desire, but a, but a plan, not just wishes, not just dreams. But concrete plans. And so I want to help you consider as you formulate your own four components of your personal spiritual growth plan. Okay, just for a moment, four components of your spiritual growth plan. First one is this, straight from this text. Put yourself under good and godly teaching and mentoring. Now, I'm glad that you're here, so in a sense I'm kind of speaking to the proverbial choir. But consistently, um, listen, I know none of us are going to be here every single week. Life doesn't afford that for us. And, you know, there's no, um, there's no prize at the end if you miss no Sundays. Now I've shared this with you before. I remember one of the first Sundays um, I preached at a large church in Haiti. And I remember going in there that day and the ushers were all in uniform, which looked a little bit intimidating already. And I noticed that each of these ushers had a section of people they were responsible for. And for the people in that section, they had cards With their names on them and they had these little hole punches and so they're looking and it's like punch they're here punch they're here punch you know they're checking everybody's attendance by the punch cards intersection and uh, we were doing lord's supper that day and apparently if your card had not been been punched sufficient number of times you were not getting the lord's supper listen that's not what i'm talking about you know we're not going to be punching your card you know by the way your smartphones and your your apple watch and we know when you're here or not anyway right I know what you're looking up right now. Justin will give me a report after. Us. We had 17 people on Facebook, we had 34 people on Instagram. No, I'm kidding. Somebody's nudging themselves saying, "Is that true? Can they do that?" <laughs> no, I'm saying the consistency of it. I know you can't be here every week, but I hope there's a part of you that says, "I don't want to miss my life group. I don't want to miss what they're going to say next week." In a few weeks, we're going to be delving into one of the most amazing books in scripture. The very formation of the church, the people of God, the book of Acts. I hope you'll have an excitement about it. I don't want to miss what's coming next. I don't want to miss what's there. Put yourself under good and godly teaching, but it's not just here. Because what we do here is is necessary. It's totally necessary for our spiritual growth and development, but it's not sufficient. I mean, just look at your seating arrangement for just a second. You're all looking up here at me and at the back of the heads of the people in front of you. There's no engagement. I don't know if you're listening, hearing, applying, doing. You need to be part of a smaller community, a biblical community, other believers, that you can talk about these things in your life. How are you doing? How are the people in that group doing? How can we pray for one another? How can we encourage one another to be faithful to the Lord and faithful to the Word and do what this says? You need to be in that kind of a small group. And you need to be, we think, we believe great spiritual growth happens when you will open up your life for genuine accountability, for genuine relationship, on a level with someone, maybe a handful, we call them D groups, three, four, maybe five people, same sex, you really know one another, pray for one another, care for one another, keep each other from falling, lift each other up when you're struggling, love one another, care for one another, be under good and godly teaching and mentoring. Number two, I know this was broad and nebulous, and I almost hesitate to give it as a point, because I would rather there be something more specific, but you've got to figure it out. I can't give you this assignment. You've got to start doing something you got to start doing something. It's most, it's easiest to be negative and to be disconnected and to be dissatisfied or to find fault with your church or the people in the church when you're not doing anything. How many of you found that to be true? But when you got some skin in the game, you realize this whole mess that we have together as a church, I'm part of that mess, and I'm committed to it. I'm committed to the people in it. I'm committed to the health of it. I'm committed to the success of it and its mission in our community and beyond. I'm part of it. This is my mess. I love these people, just like my own family, my messy family, just like yours. We're committed to this, but start doing something. You're not going to grow up in Christ simply by hearing. Find something to do. Find a place to serve. Now, we can help you. We can spur you along with that. Charles mentioned at the beginning, we have a Next Steps kiosk where we just so happen to have Tommy Perry will be at the Next Steps Kiosk today. Tommy leads our community ministries, our local outreaches. You want to find a place where you can serve? Tommy probably has, off the top of his head, probably about 500 needs right now, he could tell you of. We have needs in the community. We have needs in the church. We have needs beyond. Find something to do. Be out there doing it, and you will grow as you do. You say, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I need to take some more inventories. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't need any more personality profiles to find out what you're supposed to be doing. You don't need any more spiritual growth inventories. You don't need any more of those spiritual... You just start doing something. You'll figure it out pretty soon if that's your gift or not. You find those preschoolers, they can't stand you. That's probably not your gift. <laughs> but you find that you love them and, and they respond to you. Hey, looky there. By the way, we need you because we've got like hundreds of, of little people here. So hope you'll jump in. Number three, determine how and make a plan for how you're going to start loving other people. Now, again, I know that's as broad as the day is long. But listen, that's the aim of genuine growth and discipleship. What am I doing right now in my life? What am I doing this week wherein I am demonstrating the love of Christ for other people? Because if we make it all about ourselves, we're missing this altogether. Now, we can demonstrate love of Christ in service. We can can demonstrate it in, in good works and good deeds. We can do it in evangelism, making Christ known. There's no better way to show somebody that you love them than that you care about them spiritually. Where they are going to spend eternity? What's going to be the quality of the rest of their life? Start demonstrating that love for others. That's the point. How will we know if if we're really growing like we ought to be as a church? Because our people are out there. We're, We're just loving on people. We're loving on people who are far from Christ. We're loving on people who used to be in church. We're loving on each other. How are you going to do it? And again, I specifically put this in your notes. Again, for you to work through and think through as sort of a project for yourself, not to just want to, yeah, I want to be more loving. This is not a a feeling or an emotion I'm trying to stimulate in you. It's a choice and an action. It's a decision. Am I doing anything in my life right now that shows anything other than love for myself? Or love for the people that are just in my immediate family? How am I showing the love of Christ? Number four, Here's a fourth requisite component. Have you arranged or is your schedule sufficient to, does it allow for, does it prioritize growth? And are you committed to that schedule? Are you doing some things specifically, practically, consistently? Have you arranged your schedule around it that you don't allow that to be taken from you? And you know, we're sitting at Christmas, you know, it's Christmas morning, we're, you know, digging digging into our stockings and everything, we still do that, and uh, just invariably there's, there's candy and stuff in there. When I was a kid growing up, and I don't know why, I'm not complaining, Mom, if you're watching, but we had nuts and fruit in there, and I don't particularly like either. Um, I want candy in there, and so I'm pulling out, you know, these Reese's Christmas trees, which are excellent, and um, the, the chocolate-covered marshmallows, those are excellent. If you have any of those left around your house, I'll take those, and so, you know, by the time we get finished, we get this huge collection of Christmas candy, and then I'm looking at Cecilia. I'm saying, we've done really good this year of eating right and doing better. All right, when Christmas is over, don't buy more candy. We're going to finish this stuff up, and that's it. We're going to start the new year. We're going to finish this off. I mean, I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to throw away. I mean, I'm not stupid. But (laughs) we're not going to repeat this until you go to Publix, like on January the 3rd, and then those fudge-covered Oreos are BOGO. (laughs) My birthday's in a couple weeks, just in case you didn't know. But... um, Girl Scout cookie season. Then it's another setback. You know, listen, there's got to be a plan. There's got to be a commitment. Your spiritual life, listen, l- let me say this in all seriousness. This has to be the most critically important part of your day because Satan is warring against it to rob you of it. You know, our enemy's fine if you spend more time watching television. More time. If you, he's fine if you spend more time on the Internet. He, he's fine if you spend more time at the gym, more time with recreation. He hates if you're spending more time in prayer, more time in the Word, more time with other believers. That's probably the only component of your life, save maybe your time with your children and your wife, that he's warring against. My time with God, my time with my family. He's warring against those things. Arrange your schedule to prioritize growth and commit to that schedule. Commit to it. Um, your personal time in prayer and prayer in the word "your D-group, just commit to it. It's not always convenient, but say, I'm not going to miss this. This matters to me. The source might seem dubious. The content is certainly worthwhile. This is a person who's a rabbi, actually, in the United Kingdom, and he writes about the power of habits. Let me just show you what he said: the power of habits. He said, patterns of behavior are shaped by neural pathways connecting different parts of the brain, but not all of them are good for us. You'd agree with that. Not all habits are good for us. So, for instance, we might turn to drugs or binge eating or thrill-seeking to distract us from some of the unhappy chemicals, fears from anxieties, for instance, that also are part of the architecture of the brain. The more often we do so, the more myelin, this is science here, but it's spiritual as well, the more myelin, a fatty substance in the brain that insulates and strengthens neural connections, gets wrapped around that pathway, and more rapid and instructive, instinctive the behavior becomes. So the more often we behave in certain ways, the harder it is to break that habit and create a new and different pathway. We create these pathways, and this is what we do. We get stuck in ruts and routines and hang-ups. So how do you create a different pathway? He said to do so requires the acquisition of new habits, acted on consistently for an extended period of time. Now you may have heard different timelines regarding forming a new habit, but this is what he says. Current scientific thinking suggests that a minimum of 66 days is required to form a new habit. Will you make that sort of commitment? Say, you know what, starting today, I'm going to commit. And if you should fail one day, and get back on the next day. But I'm going to commit to being in the Word. I'm going to commit to being in prayer. 66 days. He said we can literally wire new behaviors into our brain. Without the intentional formation of these wired in habits, there is no lasting formation or transformation. We talk about the Christian life is not about information, but transformation. That's not just something that happens like a bolt of lightning that strikes us. It doesn't come from just listening to a sermon and deciding we're going to do better. It comes from choices that become habits and habits choices and behaviors which become habits which create character these are habits that God uses to transform us and finally there's this as you're thinking about how you're doing evaluating your progress and the progress of those around you you evaluate your progress by one standard alone I said this already it's not that you're better than you used to be or that you're not as bad as everybody else around you but our standard is Christ always our aim is Christ That's the only standard I want to hold up to my life and what God is doing. Am I becoming more like Christ? Not am I a better version of the old me, or not quite as bad as some of you. Am I like Christ? Let that be our aim. I want you to pray with me this morning. Father, you have called us to be part of your family. You have given us your name. We've been adopted as yours now taking on the name of Christ, we live for the glory of our Father. We're new people, we're new creations, we're not who we used to be. In fact, your word says if any of us are in Christ, we are new. And old things have passed away, everything is, is new. Father, we're told to walk worthy of you, not to earn you, but that we might deserve you, but so that we might display you. So that we might give credible, uh, credible witness to our relationship to you. Credible testimony to the power of your Holy Spirit to make us into new people. Genuine transformation because we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors of Christ. You make your appeal through us. So God, I, I pray that for those in this room who have no habits that lead to growth, they're thinking it's just going to happen over time, but it doesn't. Because here we are in 2022 and we look a lot like we did in 2020 or 2000 or whatever it may be. Father, may we make some decisions today, empowered by your Holy Spirit, to grow, to be pleasing to you, but not just so we do better, so that we can be more like Christ, so we can do the things Christ would have us do, so we can live like Christ. And so, Lord, just in all this content, Lord, speak to us about what you'd have us to do. We want to be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Listen, as you're praying, as you sit there today, let me make this clear. When we talk about growing spiritually, I'm not talking primarily about self-effort. I mean, I hope you know that. I'm not talking about lifting you up by, lifting yourself up by your bootstraps, trying better, uh, working harder. Um, come on, you can do this. If you're a Christian, I'm talking about living out the life you already have, being who you are. If you're not a Christian yet, I'm talking about a gift of grace that God gives you. There's not a person among us, not a person that you know that has the capacity for self-improvement sufficient to earn the favor of God now that's grace as you've heard me say many times God is a far better savior than we are sinners whoever we are whatever we've done wherever we've been whatever that old life has looked like it does not have to be a predictor of the future and that's the whole point of being in Christ the old is gone the new has come And if you want your life to be fundamentally different, not just you trying harder, this is not about resolutions. This is about transformation. This is about a new you. It starts with the first step of faith. God, forgive me a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Make me new. I want to know you. I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be close to you. I want to know your peace, your goodness, your joy. I want you to take away my sadness, and my hopelessness, my despair. I want to know you and enjoy you, and I, I want to spend forever with you. God, save me a sinner. That's where it starts. That's where it started in every one of us whose lives are being changed. That humble first step of faith. God, forgive me and save me and give me a new life. It starts with a new life, a new birth, and then growth ensues. We don't grow where there's no life. I ask God to give you new life today. Father, move in our hearts today. Move among our people today. Draw us towards you today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.